Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spark Connections. We're back here again. Another episode, another week. We're here with my friend Jordan. As usual, we'll be doing some unpacking. We'll be talking about experiences. We'll be getting a little rowdy. More rowdy than anything else. Looking forward to understanding what's gone on in his journey, what got him here, why he continues to stay in tech, and then just all around just figuring out what else has contributed to his experience and really just kind of digging into what is Jordan's tech life like? Jordan, welcome. Appreciate you being here, man. Hey, how are you? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Still like trying to nail that opening down. So playing around with it a little bit, doing something a little bit different than than before, but doing all right. I'd, I'd definitely listen. <laughs> I'm glad you're going to be on it. <laughs> so Jordan, listen, man. So you and I met on Twitter, like all my, basically all my like friends now are, are Twitter friends. I don't think I, I have like two friends outside of Twitter. Um, so most of my people, I can't believe I you know, <laughs> so, so you and I met on Twitter. I think you and I met, if I remember correctly, I think, I don't even want to call myself, like I wasn't a reply guy, but I think every time Mallory posted something, I was like super excited. And I'm like, and then you would say something like, who is this Jordan guy? I don't know who he is, but I like him. I like his attitude. <laughs> I, th- I think that is how we ended up meeting was that you were just all in her posts and and she liked what you were saying. And then just that from there, we just accelerated and ended up becoming mutuals. I think that sounds about right. You know, what's really funny to me is um, I think before you guys announced, like officially announced that you were dating, I was like, hmm, she comments on his stuff a lot. He comments on her stuff a lot. I wonder if they like each other. <laughs> that, was, and, that was happening long before I even knew what was going on between us. <laughs> It, it was so funny to me because I think when like you guys finally announced it, see, so many people were like, oh my goodness, they're together. And I'm like, they haven't been this whole time? Oh, yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was the only one who figured it out. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really glad we were able to connect. I'm glad to have you on here today. Um, there's a ton of stuff for us to talk about as usual. I, I, I don't know if you realize this, you're kind of like an enabler for me on Twitter. Like I see your snark and I'm like, okay, this is what today's going to be like. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my MO is uh, I just roll out and tell the truth of how I feel at that particular moment. My, my personal favorite, I will say it had me in, it had me like pretty just in tears um, was your, was it American, the American airlines tweet? Mm, I can't. I, remember. I tweet too much to. There, there's been a couple ones that have definitely got the American Airlines one. I think there was one about. Um, I want to say it was either UPS or Amazon. One of them and just how bad their delivery service is. And there was another one uh, that I ended up actually showing to a couple of friends that was about you were trying to upgrade something and whatever it was, it wouldn't work. And you were like, "I'm an actual software developer. Your platform is terrible." <laughs> That's- yeah, that that well, that could be a lot of experiences for the upgrading one. I mean, I, I can name a hundred different places I've tried to upgrade in the last two weeks where I've thought that the Amazon one that was definitely about Amazon, probably or FedEx. So not too long ago, FedEx had a logistical issue getting across the Smoky Mountains, 
that awkward time where it was going from kind of winter-ish into spring, and then suddenly it went winter again between Tennessee and Georgia. And, like, they got stuck for two days. And I was like, like, y'all do logistics for a living. How can you not figure out how to get around the Smoky Mountains? Like, you don't have to go through the Smoky Mountains to get to Georgia. We, so I ordered, uh, I think, and I think there was another person who had the exact same issue. We all had the exact same issue around the same time. So I ordered um, my iPad Pro. And when I ordered it, it got, you know, delivered by FedEx. And so the first one, when they delivered it, that they didn't ring the doorbell because apparently that's, you know, against the law now for them, to, for any delivery service to ring a doorbell. That is my chief complaint. I tweet about it all the time. It really bugs me because um, otherwise I don't know my stuff is here. And he left it outside. It rained on it. Oh, no. So I sent it back. I didn't even open the box. I just, I just, I sent it right back. Um, complained to, I think I ordered it from Apple, you know, complained to Apple. They were super chill about it. Um, so I, I believe, I don't know whether Apple did this or something, but essentially there was a note that was left on my delivery that said, you know, make sure you hand to the recipient. And my FedEx dude, him and I are in a war. Um, I do plan to take him out of the knees because uh, he just always makes my life super terrible. He leaves my deliveries either in inconvenient places or he just delivers them really badly. Um, I've found packages at my neighbor's houses. Um, my one package we found, we just found in the snow after it melted. I, I reported it as missing, thought someone stole it. Nope, it was sitting in the snow on my backyard. That's 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 the problem I'm having with the Amazon delivery people is and. I, I don't really go to Amazon that much, but for a few things, I have to go to Amazon, too. And the few things that I've had to order through them, like, they just haven't shown up. Like, I have to get a hold of Amazon. I'm like, this package just didn't show up. And I don't know if it's the building manager stealing them. I don't know if it's the neighbors stealing them. But, like, they just disappear. And Amazon's like, oh, well, the delivery person dropped it off. And I was like, okay, well, like. There's four delivery trucks to come to our building every day, one in the morning, two in the afternoon, and one just before you guys stop at eight o'clock. Like, which which one was it on? And which door did they leave it at? Because they didn't leave it at my door. You know. And one time I had one, like, and I'll see it, like the packages will just show up opened. That's why I'm very suspicious of our building managers, because like they'll show up at our door open. Like I had ordered some Brazilian pop and it just showed up open. Like I was, I, I took it because it was cased up still, but I was very suspicious of that package. I would be too. That's super weird. My neighbor across the street, uh, him and I have a have a like a pact essentially because we get each other's packages so often that he's opened up stuff before accidentally and been like, oh, this isn't mine. I don't know what this is. And he'll look at the name and go, this is my neighbor's across the street. And I've done the same thing where I'm like, ooh, this box, I'm super excited for it. I did not order a knife kitchen set. What is this? <laughs> and then I'll look at the name and go, oh, and go across the street and ring the doorbell. And he'll, and he's like, oh, yeah, my wife is looking for this. Well, that's what, that's what I had thought was happening. But as I looked down the hallway, everyone's packages were open. And I was like, okay, well, an Amazon person does not have the time and they shouldn't make the time to open our packages for convenience. Like someone is getting a hold of our packages and opening them for us and dropping them off days later. And I don't know what it is or who it is. Like I, I'm kind of at war with the Amazon delivery person because of it. But like I'm very suspicious of our building managers at this point. Like I think it's them being the logistical hangup, not UPS, not FedEx, not Amazon. 
I, you know, I, when I first, so when I had my apartment, um, my pack, so we had two, much like you, we had a couple different doors and my, the one door you can leave stuff at, it was just like kind of like a, a communal mail area. So we were all used to looking for our packages there. And um, there was a young lady who lived next door to me. So my name is Stefan. Her name was Stephanie. Her last name was Parks. My last name is Parker. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many. Her and I were actually like on a pretty comfortable basis because we would grab, like, I would just look, see the first couple letters, grab my stuff and bounce. And I, you know, I don't wear women's clothes. So I'd open up a package and go, what, what is, Okay walk next door, give it to Stephanie. And she goes, oh, by the way, I have a pile of packages that I brought up here for you today. Here you go. Uh, and it got to the point where we like, it just became a joke for us. So we would bring each other stuff up and like make sure we actually looked ahead to write packages because it happened, you know, way too many times. But yeah, it was it was a funny situation um, that I feel will never, it'll never happen again. <laughs> I, I don't think that's happening because the, we don't really have we have a, a place where our mailboxes are, but UPS has keys to our freight elevator, you know, so they they tend to come up to the freight elevator on each floor and deliver all the packages. You know, UPS does that. Amazon also does that. And so does FedEx. Like you can you can hear them walking through the building doing that. And if they can't deliver a package, like sometimes a whole truck will show up. And that was my comment on Twitter the other day, like our freight elevator broken. Sometimes they have a whole truck, and that whole truck was down there in the mail area. And when that happens, it's up to the building manager and his assistants to go through and sort that out. And I don't know what they do with it, but, like, just packages disappear. Like, we have to bolt down there if we get a notification, or, like, they just disappear. I, I think the – so the FedEx guy finally stopped messing with me because he, he lied about something. Um and so when I called FedEx to complain, I was like, oh, would you like the video from my cameras that I have on my property to show you what he did? Um, and I, I ended up going back and forth with uh, uh, someone until finally I got to a supervisor and they you know, said, yes, we would like that. So I sent it over and my FedEx dude is he knows now he knows. He knows I'm not the one to mess with because uh, I just I just pulled the footage off my camera and was like, hey, I, I caught you on camera doing this. Why are you lying? Like, I have you on footage. Yeah, well, I wish I wish our FedEx people would lie like that, but sadly they're like they're they're probably the least sketchy in ATL for me. Like it's just Amazon, like packages just just disappear. That's that's so strange. My my every other mail carrier, so my USPS guy is super cool. Our mailman's yeah, he's a really dope dude. Uh, UPS, our UPS guy, him and I on a first name basis. We talk about the stuff that I get all the time. Like it's. He'll like bring it up to the door. He'll be like, "Ooh, what'd you get this?" Because I usually order like all sorts of you know new technology stuff that I want to check out. And um, yeah, so I, I like when the um, when the new iPhone came out, he was so excited because uh, Apple actually, which is super cool for them, um, when you pre-order the phone, those are the first deliveries. Those drivers have to do that day, so those are prioritized over everything else, and then they do the rest of them yeah. um, on pre-order day. And so I get the phone, he handed it to me, and he was like, "Is that the new iPhone 12 Pro?" <laughs> and i was like yeah man he goes oh what color did you get so we're so we started that and ever since then he, he'll always be like oh man what'd you get this time and i'm like oh i don't i don't remember i got a, a ring light or a, you know this awesome desk lamp or something so yeah all, all of my delivery dudes are cool except for fedex fedex knows that him he knows him and i are not not cool 
not cool. See, for, for, for me here in ATL, it's the Amazon person. And in Kansas, it was definitely USPS person because we had a feud going on over my mailbox placement. Like they didn't like having to walk up the steps. So they tried to mandate that we put all of our mailboxes on the street. And it was only me who got the notice and they were saying, oh, well, we're going to do it throughout the whole neighborhood. And so they stopped delivering my mail and they didn't realize where I had worked and they had delayed some very important uh, mail that was supposed to be delivered to me, like on a very specific day. And from then on out, after he got in trouble, because I didn't even I didn't call nobody, I didn't do nothing. He heard about it outside of me, and ever since then, he's been feuding with me. Like he'll he'll put my mail on the steps sometimes, or he'll put my mail, you know, inside of the mailbox and leave the mailbox open. You know, it's it's really weird how feudy he is with me. That's so strange. Like, just do you're getting paid to do this. Like, just deliver the mail, right? Oh well, it's the Midwest, so I guess you should expect some level of passive aggressiveness. <laughs> that is so true. That's so true. Well, I, I know you and I chatted a lot, um, chatted a lot before we got on here and started doing the recording, but I did just want to dip back a little bit and talk about um, some of your experience. Now, I know just from your, t- from your tweets, um, you're a very experienced developer. You're, you're, you know, your database skills are killer. Um, I've seen, you know, some of your comments talking about things that you've worked on and you and I you know, had some really great conversations about um, some things that you've implemented before. So I just, let's, I just want to kind of dig in a little bit and talk about, you know, how'd you, how'd you get into tech? Let's start there. Um, and then dig into your background just a little bit and what you're, maybe what you're working on and, and what you've done. Uh, so I just got into tech in general. My uncle was a machinist at snap tools. I think it was, I can't remember where he worked, but he would program the computers that made the tools back in the nineties. And he gave me my first computer and it was one of those really old Packer Bells. And from there it was over. Like I took that computer apart. He got angry at me, not in, not in a distasteful way, but like, why did you do this? You have no idea what you're doing. So he showed me how to put it back together. Taught me a little bit about those switches that used to be in there and the ways that you used to have to adjust CMOS or was it the, whatever the BIOS or CMOS, I can't remember what it was back then, but how to adjust those IRQs and get it back to working. And from there it was over. And when I was in high school, I started doing systems and that was when it was really over. Like I learned about servers and Debian was starting to pick up back then. And just anyone who knows me, I'm really into optimization. You know, the faster we can make it go, the better it is. So I, would help people optimize their servers when I was in high school. And that became problematic for me because as we both know, software is really bad. Like it's notoriously bad. Even I'm a notoriously bad programmer. You know, that's, that's just, that's just our lot in life. It's program. I think all of us are like, I think all of us are at some point, like all of us have written something or done something where we're like, I'm not, I'm not proud of that, but I did it. <laughs> I'm somewhat proud of it. And that's that's what led me into software was I just genuinely disliked programmers. Like every time I would put up a piece of software, I was like, I need this to be targeted at 256 megs of memory, which, you know, to some people that's that's like, that's nonsensical nowadays. Like uh, the, my smallest app uses probably 16 gigs of memory nowadays, but they're much larger, much more beefier than they, 
than they ever were back then, you know. And when I couldn't get software into 256 megs and max out at 512 megs, I would just get really angry. It's like, what's going on here? This isn't hard. This software is only doing this one little thing. And that's what led me into software development. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go program software. I can't do any worse than you did. You know, and I went into it and that's kind of what has fueled my whole career is finding ways to improve software in any way that we can. Like we don't need it to not use 16 gigs of memory, but we need to make that 16 gigs of memory meaningful. You know, we have to, you know, we don't, we don't worry about how much CPU we're using, but we need to make sure that that CPU that we're using is meaningful. And it's the same thing for databases. It's like, you know, we're doing these queries and we're doing thousands of them. How can we make these meaningful? You know, are they are they going fast enough so that the user gets the data fast enough? Or are they going too slow? Are we doing too many joins? You know, what's going to make all of this more meaningful so that the end user doesn't end up disliking what we're doing? And you know, back back in the early two thousands when I was in high school, that was all about you know that wasn't about the internet. That was just about software in general. But as the internet became, you know, more and more, it's since, you know, been, you know, how fast can we get our product and our database to the user? Like, can we get it to them in under 100 milliseconds? Can we get it to them in under a second? You know, it's all about meaningful. And that's that's what my whole career has pretty much been. I, I you know, one of the things I, I really respect and I can appreciate is is wanting to, to deliver that that valuable customer experience, not, you know, to get the most money to whatever, not to get all these accolades, but to deliver a very valuable and, and um, sustainable customer experience for whatever product they're consuming. Um, I've been, I've talked to people and, and talked to developers who are just, you know, working, working for the next ticket, right? Like working for the next task that they're going to complete and not putting that thought or um, not to necessarily taking that time to make sure that they're delivering that, they're making sure that when when they when that customer picks up that you know uses that form, um, you know, try, tries to do that transaction, that it's seamless for them and that it's not painful. Because uh, I think we've all been on the other side of I've tried to do something and it doesn't work, and how frustrating it can be. Yeah, it's it's that frustration that drives that. It's it's at the end of the day, you think, well, I've used so many bad forms, I've been to so many bad websites where people are just. They're trying to do more and more when they should be doing what they need to do and doing it good. You know, they're trying to undertake the world. You know, Twitter's an example of that they keep adding more and more that they don't need to add. And a lot of them are half-baked at first. And it's those kind of experiences where I can't use a product because it was half-baked or the product was unusable because they didn't think about some form of usability or different ways that, you know, people think. It's that drives me thinking about, you know, how, how can we improve this and make it more meaningful? You know, but I, I get that we have to use 16 gigs of memory. I get that we can't stop that, but how can we make it faster? I, I think back to, I used this example on a previous episode, uh, but so Azure, Azure DevOps, which I, I believe they're actually working on this, uh, but when we think about a meaningful experience, so Azure DevOps, when you commit your code um, to their repository, when you when they do the diff, their green is so light, I can't see it. So I have a slight um, stigma in my eye where I, I lighter greens, I actually have a trouble seeing them. Um, 
so so their their green is so light i couldn't see it so in order to look at my developer's code i couldn't use that tool i typically would just go right into git bash or terminal um and i would diff their their the branches from whatever they were tra- uh, targeting right there because you know dark background very you know nice solid green nice solid red and that was easy for me to read i could not read i could not see the green highlights on you know azure and i shared with that feedback with them saying hey i'm i one i doubt i'm the only person who's seeing this but two you have this very white background and these very light both green and red colors why you know better i know you know better they, they really do you know they they and that's something that that I I try to I don't know much about accessibility, but I know enough to know what I know, and if that that green issue is part of it, you know, like we know a lot of people are colorblind, you know, why are we using non-contrasty colors on websites, you know, we know that some people don't have super fast internet, so why are we building websites that require you know a hundred megs to to just work? You know, verges like that, you know, why, how can we, how can we make this better at the end of the day? You know, and if it's slight usability that I'm gaining, I know how to do that. Let's, let's get it done. If it's, let's figure out why our database is going slow, let's get it done. But ultimately that's, that's what all of my tweeting is about. It's not, it's, it's anger tweeting because I see all these things that people aren't doing that they should be doing. And it's like, why aren't you taking the time to do these things, you know? We're developers. We have the capability to do that. Not all of us are full stack. I'm definitely not full stack. But even I know that we're doing it bad on the front end. You know, we're not we're not using contrasty colors. We're not making the UI seamless. We don't even care if people have JavaScript anymore. You know, I one of the things that um, I, I'm seeing, and and it, it bothers me both on Twitter and and what I see is is my you know, professional life is this kind of like growth at all cost mindset, right? So we're, we're, as an organization, we are comfortable sacrificing the needs of others so long as we're continuing to grow and as so long as we're continuing to make money. Yes, we have this general mission of wanting to make things better. Um, I think every company has some sort of flavor of that statement. Um, but the reality of it is, is that, yeah, we're willing to make things better up to a certain point, up to a certain cost. Uh, once it exceeds that cost, then we're, we're, we're done with it. We, we don't care about it anymore. And that's something that genuinely um, that genuinely bothers me because I think that if you're going to get into something, yeah, money's nice. It's always great. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. But also, I want to make sure that if I'm getting paid, I'm getting paid because I've done the right thing, not getting paid just for the sake of collecting a check. Um, so I see people bragging about how much more they're making and how much more they can be getting. But then I'm like, yeah, but you're providing a crap experience to do that. Why are you? I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too proud of that. Um, and we, we know all too well that there are tons of people out there who are proud of that exact thing. That's, uh, that's why I'm happy where I'm at now. We, we don't, so we have a growth mindset to an extent, but we don't really have a growth mindset. Everything we do from the bottom all the way to the top is all about quality rather than quantity or getting it out faster. So like when you hear me say, oh, well, we're delayed for two weeks. That's because we spotted a quality issue. Like we're, we are not worried about delaying something for the sake of quality. You know, we, we, we tend to focus on the experience and it's given me a lot of appreciation for everything that I've worked so hard to do because to have a dev manager who says, you know, we don't need to go out today. 
we don't need to go out tomorrow. What we need to do is make sure that we're one, not taking down the service and two, giving the user the experience that they deserve. You know, they're paying us a fee every month. We have to give them an experience. I don't know if that's because the company I work for is all about experiences or, or if it's just because finally when we broke down into smaller teams that we were able to determine what those experiences need to be. I, I respect organizations intentionally focusing on the journey that the customer takes more so than the product, right? Like the product will come together. That's, that's actually like the less, and, and, and I'm sure you're, you know, super familiar with this. That's the easiest part. Like that's not hard. Bringing the product together is not the hard part. The hard part is making sure that, to, that once you bring the product together, it provides that seamless journey. Um, so I am, a, while I, you know, sometimes will, I, I worked for Apple many ago um but every certain once in a while i have to take my, my my stab at them but when i think about like the apple buying experience so i ended up um just purchasing a macbook for my wife it was the easiest experience i have ever had i went online decided what i wanted you know picked out all the stuff and and you know for her she's just using it for you know doing some schoolwork, doing some stuff for teaching and then just general browsing. So MacBook Air was good enough um, and more than good enough with the M1 chip and, you know, found the machine, found a machine that I thought was good for her, you know, selected that I wanted to go get it from my store, the store that's closest to me. I get there, show my ID and they bring my machine out in this bag. They hand it to me, ask me if I have any questions and send me on my way. It was the most effortless purchase I have made in a very long time. Um, but then I turned around <laughs> and realized that I needed, um, I needed a, I wanted to get her a keyboard and a mouse because she's hooking up to a new monitor. I tried to hook her up during the pandemic. Um, and I walk into Best Buy and took 30 minutes to check out for a keyboard and mouse that I had in my hands. That's, that's not good. And that, that's how that, that, that experience with Best Buy have a lot of those experiences where they don't either offer same day delivery or they don't give you a window into the delivery or you walk into the store and the people just don't care. Like I'll walk into Best Buy and people are just standing there. And with Apple, you're right, it's, it's a seamless experience and that's how they get you. And that's how we get our users too is, you know, we try to, we're, we don't do it perfectly. We already know there's lots of mistakes on the back end and the front end. You know, we're well aware of those, but we get them because of that seamless experience. Like they go visit the website and they use the service and they see all the care that has gone into giving them the stuff that they either had as a kid or that they want now, you know, that experience is there. And, you know, as you said, people are too focused on growth, but we exponentially grew just by experience alone. You know, people, just the nostalgia and the love for the content that's coming out, like, you could see it grow. I, I think the, I think as you, and this is something that I, that I have found, I think as you pour into the experience that your customer has, which is what, um, you know, Apple's always been about, I am, I, I have very strong opinions about um, Steve Jobs, but I will at least say this, when you think about, when you focus on the experience part of it, which is what they've done very well, um, that's why they set that standard. Um, and there's some other organizations that, that you can you can see that with as well. So I don't know if you've purchased anything from Zappos recently, uh, but Zappos is also an experience-based um, 
an experience-based company. That's what they focus on. Yeah, we're gonna, we know we're gonna make money. That's not the question. We know we're gonna make money, yeah. but how quickly and how consistently and how sustainably are we gonna make that? It's determined by how great um, or poor we make this experience for you as a consumer, which the reason why Zappos employees are super happy, at least you know the, the wider margin of them and their customer reviews are usually off the church because they intentionally focus on that experience piece. That's how Amazon and Walmart took over the world too. Like from day one, Walmart did not care about shrink. They did not care about anything more than the customer was right. And it accelerated their growth across the country. And now they treat their employees really badly, sadly. And Amazon is the same way. They focused on experience. It was all about how can we get you to check out the smoothest? How can we make your returns the smoothest? Like if something goes wrong anywhere in the chain with Amazon, I could just click that return button and it's pretty much no questions asked. You know, they're either going to replace the product or give me a refund. They're not going to ask any more questions than that. They're willing to lose a few dollars to keep the customer. And it's sad that they also treat their employees bad. But, you know, that's that experience is what helped them grow exponentially. And, and for every major company that I see that's making billions, it's because of the experience. It's not because they focused on getting more users onto the platform. It's not because they took money from a VC and found a way to grow. It's because they always focused on the experience. Now there's there's some exceptions to that rule, like Lyft and Uber, but they fulfilled a product that many of us long wanted. I mean, everyone knows how bad it is to deal with taxis. So Uber picked the right, they picked the right market. Well, I think between that experience and then convenience, right? So I think Uber and Lyft fall into the the experience might be bad, but they're so convenient, I have to like I can't not use the service. Exactly. And I think and I think Amazon hit a really sweet spot where they focused on convenience and experience. We're gonna give you this really. I am. Oh, I can't even believe I'm admitting this. I am. I remember when Amazon was just a bookstore years old. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember that that piece of like Amazon said, we're going to get you your college books. We're going to get to you quickly. We're going to make it. We're going to make sure we have better prices than what you're going to get them at the bookstore. And if you choose to rent versus to own, we're going to make that just a very seamless, convenient experience for you. Oh, by the way, we're going to make sure that we get it to you faster than anyone else can provide it to you. And then we're not even going to charge you for that. And I remember like the first time I bought a book from, from when I was in college from Amazon in my mind, I couldn't buy books from anywhere else. So I know there were times where I actually paid more for books going from Amazon than buying them secondhand or somewhere else. But that's because they hooked me. Like they, just like the rest of us, right? Like they, they hooked us with that experience and the convenience. That, yeah, that's, yeah. Like if I think back to when I used to use Amazon more, not that I ever really used them all that much. It was, it was always about the convenience. Like they were the few, one of the few companies that could get something to you by the next day, you know, as long as you ordered it by a specific time and they were very open about the cutoff times, you know, and if, if an exception happened at UPS, they made it easy to get your money back for what you pay for shipping if you had to pay for it. And now they're trying to do that very badly, mind you, but they're trying to do that with Amazon Prime delivery. You know, they're, they really need more drivers to handle that so that they don't have to do the things that they're doing. Yeah, I I remember um, I, I I will admittedly I used to have an Amazon problem, I would call it. And by that I mean my 
so when they were still using, um, you know, the postal service and UPS a lot, I recall um, getting packages usually like somewhere in between three and four, like pretty, pretty regularly. Um, and I remember the reason again, that kept me hooked in was when Amazon prime first launched, there was a couple things that guaranteed so there's two day shipping. So if I ordered by a certain time, I'd have my, I would have it either that some, I, I remember ordering something at 8am one time and I had it that day. Oh, that would be nice. I ordered, I ordered something at 8am. I went to work. I came home, I was taking my shoes off and I saw the UPS driver pull up and have my package. And I was like, there is no way. And in my, so I started looking at my order. I'm like, did I click one day shipping? How did, why is this here so fast? And no, it's just, they had it at the distribution site that we, that uh, we were doing that was near me. They happened to be able to package it up and get it out to me as soon as possible. And I got it that day. And I thought about that and I think that's the reason why, you know, even though we're aware of some of the things that are happening with Amazon, um, you know, seeing them in the news, drivers who are having to pee in bottles or, you know, use the bathroom on their truck, um, just these terrible warehouse conditions. I think that they're, they're so hooked in that, yes, we, the humanitarian side of us wants to get it, wants to say, you know, no more Amazon. But then there's also that, right, that convenience and that, that uh, customer experience portion for us that we're not affected by it. Well, it's hard to like in a world where we're in the middle of a pandemic, I try to avoid Amazon and to an extent target, you know, targets a money sink, not to mention they happen to be the wrong store in the wrong, you know, they keep getting burned down, which is problematic, but it's, I can't, I can't not use them because I have to get equipment like something breaks and I don't have a procurement department anymore at a corporate headquarters that can help me and I have to get that by the next day or everything is just sold up. Yeah. I, I found myself looking for alternate ways to shop. Um, it, un, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm going to give everybody, so any, for everybody who's listening, here's a, like probably millions of dollar idea here for you. You're welcome. I'm giving it to you for free. Local, local, locally owned, hardware supply stores like something that can compete with like a best buy or a tar- like if someone does that or someone was to start doing that we would really because that's that's the one place market wise that we really can't um there's no real corner and so i know in, in where i live there are um, locally owned food stores so i don't have to shop at like a walmart i don't have to shop at target i don't have to give them that money i can invest in my community um same thing with deciding that i want to purchase um clothing right i have consignment shops that i can go to i have all these other options for that the one thing that we don't have that for is for technology right if i want to buy um i don't know if i need a case for my ipad i have to either shop online or i have to go to one of the bigger stores a locally owned hardware store that you know people would be able to invest in that would pour that money back in the community would be absolutely killer. Well, we had that back in back in the nineties and the two thousands, you know. True. And Target started growing, and now they sell a lot of Apple products. And then you've got Best Buy, which they grew, and then they ungrew, and then they grew again. You know, we used to have Circuit City. Rest in peace, Circuit City, I guess. Oh, man, I miss Circuit City. You know, like, but so it's all become these big box retailers, you know. So you're stuck going to Target, which I don't want to go to because they're way too expensive, you know. Or you're stuck going to 
Amazon because they're the only place that has the case and they can get it to you, you know, by tomorrow or by the end of the week, even like the, the local places I can go to an ATL, they just don't have the stock and it's hard for them to get the stock in. Right. Like, I'm more than happy to call the computer store down the street, but they can't get iPads in. They, they, you know, Amazon has taken them all, you know, and what Amazon hasn't taken Verizon and T-Mobile and, you know, other retailers have taken and Apple has to hold some for themselves, but right. they're really not holding some for themselves because I can go to Verizon and get an iPad Wi-Fi or not tomorrow, but I can't go to Apple and get one by tomorrow. Right. You're, you're kind of stuck going to these stores that you don't want to go to. Right. Right. And it's so, it's so sad because, um, and I think, uh, I think we, we, we've seen the end Unfortunately, seeing the rise and and the you know the dawn and of course the the sunset of you know locally owned stores ha- having the ability to kind of push back on those um, bigger corporations and, and and still hold a marketplace. There's just and especially in the pandemic, it's just made it's just widened that gap so much more. Um, and and unfortunately, there's not just the support there or the the ability to to close it anytime soon. It's 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 very tragic. It really is. I mean, you could you could see the effects all around the country, especially in the bigger cities. I don't know how much it's impacted New York. I do know that in ATL, it's impacted a lot. Like a lot of you know smaller restaurants, there they're either not open past six or seven for delivery, or they've just shut down. Like some very good bakeries have just they could not afford to survive the pandemic. But now all you have is Kroger. You know they they. They're not the best bakery, but they're, you know, they bake stuff in stores. So that's, I guess that's good enough, even though it's not really that, that good in my opinion, you know, but we don't, you don't have the local bakery anymore. You don't have the local computer store anymore. Like where I am, they used to have two or three computer stores. Now it's dwindled down to one and I'm not even sure that one has anything in it anymore. And then outside of that, the closest one is in Buckhead, which is, you know, it's not that far away, but why do you want to travel, you know, 20, 30 minutes to go get something that I could just get tomorrow morning? It's, it's, you're stuck in the middle in a situation you don't want to be stuck into. Right. Right. That, that choice, right. That choice has been taken away, but, you know, offering that convenience, offering that experience and then saying, okay, now I'm your only option. Now, now you have to go with me because you're dependent on me to get what you want, what you're looking for. It's, it's so sad. Uh, that's that's where the experience and the convenience turns into taking over everything like some companies like walmart and and i don't know much about target i've never really shopped there i'm from kansas they're not very they're not very popular there but i know walmart and amazon you know at a certain point they switched from convenience and experience over to like you said taking over the world like at any cost they want to maintain that dominance you know, if it's, you know, continuing to lose a few dollars here or there so that you'll continue to shop there, that's how they do that. If it's telling you we can get you something by the next day, which they really don't do anymore, like we can only get stuff within a time period of like two or three days, you know, that's still that's faster than a lot of places can do it. You know, uh, Walmart's the same way. They got that two day delivery, except Walmart guarantees a two day window. You know, at any cost, they're going to they're going to try and maintain that dominance. So it's it's really hard for a small local business to to pick back up. 
Like I, I don't foresee a lot of these places reopening after the pandemic and it's making me sad because I come to that realization. I think, um, so I, I, I was reading, um, I was reading just, just some articles on how, um, banks are distributing PPP loans and the SBA loans and trying to support small businesses. And, and there's a very stark reality that, um, by the time the pandemic ends, and of course, estimates on that are always changing. Um, but but the unfortunate part is, is that I think we're, if I'm not mistaken, we're getting to a place and we're going to reach a place where we're going to approach that. Um, we're going to approach that, uh, you know, that 40% of businesses that will not be open after the pandemic is over. Uh, and that's, that's terribly sad. It is very sad. It's it's a lot of the good places I used to eat at, you know, before the pandemic aren't going to exist after the pandemic. And now you have to get a burger at a big chain. Now, don't get me wrong. McDonald's is they're They're somewhat good. I like McDonald's, but they're definitely not the best burger I've ever had, especially when I'm eating out. You know, and the, the burger joint that I did like doesn't exist anymore because they couldn't survive. But McDonald's has billions of dollars so they could survive. And I don't think they're going to be able to afford to come back because I, I don't know how much it costs to start a restaurant, but I don't assume it's cheap. It's definitely not. Um, I I only know because a, a friend of mine and I have been, we're always talking about like what businesses we could start and, and the buy-in costs for like franchising at McDonald's or like even a Starbucks or something like that. It, it, it's a very big cost. It's, it's, it's usually upwards of a million dollars um, or somewhere in that range. Um, or you have to have some sort of like subsidiary to help you cover that cost. And then you end up paying it back over time and all, all that fun stuff. But, but the end result is, is that the, the, you know, the average person doesn't have, doesn't have the, the, the capital and, or um, the support to be able to achieve that. And that's, that's where the unfortunate part comes into where you're, you, you know, as these businesses close, they, they, they're not going to be opening back up on, you know, just sadly enough, they just won't be. Yeah. Like my favorite burger joint, it was ran by two people. I, I don't think they made a lot of money for themselves. Like a lot of that was cycled back into the community. A lot of that was cycled back into, you know, making the restaurant better. So at the end of the day, they, they made a salary. They probably made a pretty good salary, but they weren't making the kind of salary that said, oh, we got a million dollars once this pandemic is over, we'll restart a restaurant. Yeah, it's it's sad to to say the least. Um, but you know, I know Jaron, we're coming up on time, man. So this is this has honestly been a great conversation. I thank you so much for your, your thoughts, uh, for being so candid. This has been awesome. Um, why don't you do me a favor? If you want to tell everyone where they can find you at, why don't you share that? We'll wrap everything up. Uh, you you can find me on Twitter at MVGeeks or GitHub at MVGeeks. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. If you do follow Jordan on Twitter, you will see a lot of spicy takes. They're great. Um, like I said, there's always a couple of good ones that'll get you, that'll keep you laughing for a little bit, but they're always thought provoking. So this has been another episode, Spark Connections. Thank you guys for listening in and we'll catch you on the next one.